Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. I think most of us will agree that peace is in short supply. I think most of us could use a little bit more peace in our lives. You know, on the world stage, we have conflict all around us. I mean, the U.S. president was just impeached. There's never been more political polarization in the U.S. In, in the US since the Civil War. Uh, Venezuela is on the verge of a humanitarian crisis while they're in the midst of a humanitarian crisis. There's civil wars all over the place in the world, South Sudan, Syria, Libya. There are t- t- uh, protests taking place all over the globe, everywhere. Social media is polarized between the left and the right, millennials and the boomers, right? I think we, we can agree that we'd like to see a little bit more peace in our world. But I think many of us would actually like to see a little bit of peace in our own lives. I mean, as a society, we are seeing increasing levels of anxiety, depression, stress, loneliness. And this is especially true if you're here today and you're in your 20s and 30s. I mean, there are numerous studies and articles that are describing how millennials are the most anxious and loneliness, loneliest of a all generations. There's actually a recent study done by Blue Cross that says millennials are being diagnosed for major depression at a rate that outpaces all other generations. And there are lots of reasons for this stress. There's lots of reasons for this depression. I mean, they're working longer hours. They have less, wa- uh, less wages. There's the pressure of higher housing costs and student loans. Then, of course, there's the pressure to kind of figure out what I'm going to do with my life. Add that to sleeplessness and uh, add to that sleeplessness and dopamine addiction from social media. And of course, then there's the burden. We all have it to compete uh, with everybody else's perfectly curated and cropped lives on Instagram, which we know are just bold-faced lies. Okay. So um, we face a lot of pressure these days. There's a lot of stress out there. There's a lot of anxiety. Um, I'm not uh, dis- separated from that myself. And I think there are a lot of us here today who'd say, man, I could use a lot more peace in my private world. You know, recently I I read about this mock prison in South Korea that people are paying money to stay in. So for $90, this is in South Korea, you you can spend 24 hours locked inside a very small cell, five foot by 10 foot cell. They give you a blue prison uniform. They give you a yoga mat, a tea set, a pen, and a notebook. There's also a small toilet, and there is no mirror. You check in all your electronic devices at the door, and when you go in, there's no talking, and there are no clocks. You just go in there for 24 hours. I thought to myself, you know, why are people in Korea paying to stay in these prison cells? And the answer is just simply this. They are stressed, and they are overworked. I mean, I've been to Korea. I was there last year. I mean, it is fast-paced. It is nonstop. And it is a hyper-competitive environment, uh, even more so than we think uh, we have here in the West, all the more so there. So to find peace from their everyday lives, people are paying to spend a day or two in jail. And reports say when they interview them that when they first try it, they're a little nervous about doing it. But after staying there for a while, here's how they respond. This is not a prison. The real prison is where I return to. You know, and I, and I thought about that, and I thought about spending 24 hours locked in a small little cell, and I just thought to myself, wow, that would be awesome. <laughs> I'd pay good hard-earned cash to get that kind of peace in my life, absolutely. 
Uh, is it wrong to covet somebody else's prison cell? I don't know. Well, today we're, we're completing our series, He Will Be Called. And for the past month, we've been exploring the names of Jesus that are found in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And, and just to frame this for us this morning, I just want to read those texts of uh, Scripture for us again, uh, starting in verse 6. Here's what the prophet Isaiah writes. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. So in this text, Isaiah is looking forward to this future coming Messiah who would rule with justice and righteousness. And of course, we know that this this Messiah was none other than Jesus. What Isaiah didn't know at the time, we now know in our time. And of course, Isaiah uses four names to describe Jesus. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And of course, since this is the fourth week, we're going to be focusing in on the fourth name, which is the Prince of Peace. Now, I've, I've thought about this, and, and, and I think if we're going to understand what it means that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, we need to begin with what the word peace actually means. And I think most of us, when we think about peace, we, we think about it meaning the absence of conflict or the absence of war. So you have two fighting nations, they lay down their arms, and they sign a peace agreement or a peace treaty, meaning they're not going to fight anymore. But in biblical times, in the biblical language, the word peace has a much bigger, it has a much deeper meaning than that. You know, in the Old Testament, the, the, the Hebrew word that is translated as peace is the word shalom. And shalom means essentially wholeness or completeness. And it also carries this idea of, of harmony, of rightness, of health, of flourishing. So the ancient Hebrews would often greet each other. And you find Jesus actually doing this in, in John chapter 21. But they would greet one another and they would say shalom, which means peace be with you. It means be whole, be complete, be well. It was a customary greeting in that day. And as a matter of fact, it's still a customary greeting even in our day. Shalom was applied in many different contexts. So, for example, if a, if a stone wall was in shambles, if you rebuilt the wall and put every stone back in its place, you would say that that, that wall has shalom. If your flocks were healthy and they were all together rather than scattered or sick, if they were all together, you would say that flock has shalom. If a debt was repaid to you and it was completed, you would say that was shalom. If two nations were fighting and there was an end to hostility, but then they actually started working together as one, you would say there is shalom. So where there is shalom, there is wholeness, there is harmony, there is, there is completeness. Now, of course, the opposite of shalom is chaos or it's disorder. So that messy bedroom you've got or that garage you've got that's piled to the roof with boxes and junk, it doesn't have a lot of shalom. Neither does your body when it's sick or it's unhealthy. If your family is fighting, it lacks shalom. When people are marginalized because of poverty or dysfunction, your community lacks shalom. If the glaciers are melting and Australia is burning, your planet does not have shalom. Now, of course, when you get to the New Testament, there's a new word that's used because the New Testament is written in Greek and the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. But the New Testament word is irony. 
And the word is not actually much different than the Hebrew word. And this is because, of course, the, the Christian understanding of peace comes from or is informed by the Hebrew understanding of peace. So, so, so the Hebrew word, shalom, basically undergirds the Greek word, which is irony. Okay? And they essentially mean the same thing. So Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. And when we consider that, we, we need to understand this in the broader understanding of shalom. Jesus is the ruler, the icon, who will bring shalom. He will bring wholeness. He will bring completeness. Isaiah 9-7, I think you noticed it when I read it, says that he will increase peace. There will be no limit to the peace that Jesus ultimately will bring. Now, if we're going to fully understand how Jesus is the Prince of Peace, we also need to look at the big God story. This is what, what people commonly refer to as the meta-narrative of Scripture. And I think this is really important if we want to understand what it means that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. See, in the beginning, as we know the story, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the beginning, the heavens and the earth were whole. They were complete. God and his creation were in harmony. The original state, the garden state, was one of shalom. And we see this in God's pronouncement in Genesis chapter 1, verse 21. And God saw everything he had, be, he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So within God's creation, he established Adam and Eve as his rulers, his icons over all of creation, his kings. They were to be his image bearers, and they would represent God, and they would ultimately steward the world in a very redemptive way. This is the commission, this was the mission that God had given to Adam and Eve. And in that point in his history, sin and evil were unknown to Adam and Eve. But as we know the story goes, they rebelled against the good command of God. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when that happened, everything was fractured. Everything was disrupted. Everything was torn apart. Shalom departed from the world, and it was instead replaced by disruption. And this disruption happened in three very significant ways. First of all, the relationship between people and God was fractured. Adam and Eve suddenly knew good and evil. They were cast from the garden and access to the tree of life. Sin and death entered into the created order. And this sin separated humanity from God. It created this barrier between man and God as mankind chose to go their own, their own way apart from God. But second, the relationship between people and people was fractured. I mean, if you trace the story of the Bible from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to Genesis chapter 11, you will see this played out. You have the murder of Abel, the flood, the divisions of the people at the, at, the, uh, at the Tower of Babel. We also see this played out in human history. I mean, we have thousands of years of fighting and of conflict and of wars. But finally, the relationship between people and creation was fractured. What do we find in Genesis chapter 3? Chapter three? Childbearing would become unbearable. The ground would become cursed, no longer easy to manage. The creation is essentially fighting against humanity. There would be toil and thistles and hardship. Everything was wild. So ultimately, Adam and Eve failed at the mission to subdue and steward the earth, to maintain shalom. And there was no longer shalom, but instead chaos, brokenness, and disruption. So what did God do? 
Well, God chose Abraham and his descendants to be the priests and rulers in the world. And so the mission of Adam and Eve was ultimately given to Israel. And Israel was to do two things. I mean, live in covenant faithfulness to God. And second, to be a light to the nations, to demonstrate God's goodness and faithfulness to all the world. But like Adam, Israel failed. And after that, Israel's kings themselves failed. And so, at the height of this failure, God spoke through his prophets. And he promised that one day he would send a Messiah. And this Messiah would complete the mission of Adam and Eve and of Israel. He would do something that they could not do. He would rescue people from their sins. He would destroy the powers of evil. He would redeem everything. And then, after all of that, he would usher in an entire new era of peace, of shalom. And so one day, nearly centuries later, Isaiah's prophecy was fulfilled. As were dozens of other prophecies. I mean, it came about in an unremarkable town of Bethlehem. A child was born to two young peasants, Joseph and Mary. It was an ordinary setting for a very extraordinary baby because this child was a descendant of King David and he would be the Messiah, the Savior of all. He was Jesus, the Son of God, fully God and yet fully men. Now, just as a sidebar this morning, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 6 wasn't the, was only one of many Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. You know, 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah also promised that Jesus would be born into humble circumstances, he would live a simple life, he would die a brutal death, and he'd rise again to take away our sin. And in fact, there are many other prophecies and passages in the Old Testament that predict or foreshadow the events of Jesus' life. Now, maybe you're here today and, and you're investigating the Christian faith. I mean, maybe you're wondering, hey, what's the big deal about Jesus anyway? Well, can I just invite you to consider all of these predictions about Jesus for just a moment? I mean, if you're skeptical, which I often am skeptical, you might be thinking that Jesus just kind of got lucky when it comes to all of these prophecies. I mean, maybe he was the one guy, just the one guy whose life just happened to match up with all of these different predictions. Well, can I get you to consider something this morning? Can I get you to consider this thought? You see, one scholar decided to do the math on just 48 of the core prophecies in the life of Jesus. And he tried to determine what, what, would, be the, I mean, what would be the odds, what would be the probability that all of these 48 prophecies were fulfilled by chance in the life of just one man. What would be the odds of that? And here's what he came up with. He said the odds of that are 1 in 10 to the power of 157. In other words, that's 1 in 10... Uh, Unquinquagentillion. Let me say that again. One in ten unquinquagentillion. Turn to the person beside you and just say, unquinquagentillion. Come on, you can do it. It's important. Because you're going to take this back to work with you tomorrow, right? Like, that's pretty significant odds. And, and just by comparison, if you buy a $2 lottery ticket today, your chance of becoming a millionaire about 1 in 14 million. So look at the number of zeros and the odds of Jesus fulfilling those, um, all of those prophecies and the odds of you winning the lottery today. It's astounding when you consider it. See, the, the Bible proposes and teaches that Jesus was so much more than a good moral teacher or a philosopher or, or a modern-day mystic. I mean, and, and if you're checking out church or you're checking out the Christian faith, 
Let me just encourage you on this. Let me just encourage you to maybe just dig a little bit deeper. I mean, we're, in a, we're a community where it's okay to doubt. It's okay to question. It's okay to investigate because we're all on a spiritual journey. And let me say, if, you, if you've got questions about this, I encourage you to chat with me or maybe chat with the person you've come with. We would love to connect you with good resources. Um, maybe you might even consider taking the Alpha course. I mean, it addresses a number of these questions, including the big questions of life, which is who was ultimately Jesus. So that's just a bit of a sidebar. But let me get back to the big God story. You know, as I said before, Jesus would come to complete the mission of Adam and Israel. And, and this mission ultimately included the restoration of shalom to all of creation and humanity. So let me give you an example of this. How do, how do we know this is true? Well, you know, you know the story of the shepherds in the New Testament? So the angel of the Lord announced the coming of Jesus to the shepherds, right? And they were sitting in the countryside. They were watching their sheep, right? And after this, right after this moment, thousands of angels just appeared in the sky. This, this heavenly, I don't know, pyrotechnic display of sights and of sounds. And, they, and the angels appeared. And what was it they ultimately said? What was it they announced about this coming Jesus? Here's what they said. They said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, they didn't say that, but <laughs> glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom his favor rests. What would this newborn Messiah bring? Peace on earth, completeness, wholeness. So the question then is this, is, is, is how, ultimately, how would Jesus do this? How would Jesus bring about peace? You see, many, many people in that day thought that the Messiah would bring about peace through conquest. You know, he becomes, be raised up to be some general or some politician, some great mind. And uh, ultimately, he would lead Israel to conquer their Roman oppressors who were controlling them at that time. And then after that, after he conquered and threw off this oppression from the Roman leaders, uh, he would usher in a new era of prosperity and of peace. But nobody, nobody anticipated God's final solution. Nobody anticipated that, that peace would not come on the field of conquest, but peace would come on the cross of Calvary. And Jesus ultimately would bring shalom to the earth by defeating the powers of sin and of death and of evil. See, the cross was, was God's final solution to the problem of a fractured and a broken creation. And we find this in Colossians chapter 1. Here's what it says about Jesus. Note this, God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, I just want you to notice a couple things here from the text. First of all, notice the source of peace. How is God bringing about peace? Well, it comes through the blood of Christ. Jesus gave, gave his life so that peace ultimately would be possible. Through the cross, Jesus brought peace by paying for the sins of the entire world. But I also want to see you to pay attention to the extent of this peace. See, oftentimes when we think about the peace of God, or we think about God's salvation, we think of it as a good Western individualist. And good Western individualists typically think of me. We think of myself. And so when we think about God bringing peace, he's coming to bring peace to people. Or he's coming to bring peace to individuals. But you'll notice in this text that the peace of God extends far beyond the lives of individuals and extends far beyond the lives of peace. God came to bring peace to everything. God's peace is actually cosmic in its proportion. Paul says that Jesus came to reconcile what? He came to reconcile all people? No, he came to reconcile all things, whether on heaven or on earth. So Jesus came ultimately to bring shalom to everything, 
everything that's fractured, everything that's broken, everything that's misaligned. People's relationships with God, yes. People's relationships with each other, yes. Our relationship with creation, yes. The brokenness and the distortion of creation itself, yes. Jesus came to reconcile all things to God. He came to bring peace everywhere. Shalom. And the way that he's done this is through the victory on the cross of Calvary. See, one day, Jesus will come again. And when Jesus comes again, he will fix everything. He will right every wrong. He'll bring justice to the earth. And then he will create a new heaven and a new earth. The old order of things will pass away. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death shall be no more. There'll be no more mourning or crying or pain. And God ultimately, Revelation, you read the last two chapters of Revelation, God ultimately will dwell among his people. He will be our light and he will be our life. So essentially what happens at the end of the story, the final chapter of the story, is God will return everything to the garden state. There will be shalom. There will be peace. There will be wholeness, completeness, harmony. This is why during this season of Advent, it's so important that we celebrate the Jesus who has come, but we celebrate the Jesus who will come again. As believers in Christ, we, we, we should long for his return. We should wait on tiptoes with anticipation. We should whisper, come, Lord Jesus, come. It's important, it's so important that we understand that Jesus came to bring peace not only to us, but he came to bring peace to the earth. But he also came to bring peace to you. See, one day he'll bring ultimate peace. But did you know that Jesus came to bring peace to you now, today? And he came to bring peace in your lives. Well, how does that work? Well, let me unpack that for you this morning, just really quickly, in a few ways. First of all, he came to bring through the cross, to bring you with peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the fractured relationship that you may have had with God has, has been healed, has been mended, has been restored through Jesus and his work on the cross. See, the wages of sin is death. We maybe know this to be true. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So rather than having separation from God, we can have that separation mended and restored through the cross of Christ. And when we put our faith in Christ, the text says we are justified. In other words, we are no longer under condemnation. We are in right standing with God. And because we're in right standing with God rather than separated with God, we can enter into a relationship with God that is transformative. A relationship with God that is life-giving. A relationship with God that is, that is everlasting. We can experience shalom with God through the work of Jesus. And the entry point, the way we enter into that relationship, ultimately, is, is not through our good works, is not through our good deeds, and not by measuring up. It's ultimately through faith. It's by trusting in the finished and complete work of Jesus on the cross. That's how we have peace with God. But not only that, we can also have peace among people. You know, Jesus' mission on earth today, even now, includes mending the fractured relationships in humanity. And he does that by forming one body, one people. 
You know, for hundreds of years, God was accomplishing his redemptive mission through Israel. But now he has created a new family that's made up of people from many nations. I mean, if we look around us here at Crosspoint, we see that to be true. We have people from so many different nations, from so many different people groups, who are living together in community, the one beautiful, splendid community, because of Christ Jesus, because of the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul wrote about this in his letter to the Ephesians. Here's what he says. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments, express and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. You know, Paul, the point that Paul is making is that through Christ, God has created one people, Jew and Gentile alike. He's brought all the nations together into one body, a new spiritual family. Jesus then tears down the wall of separation of Jews and Gentiles, and this new family that he's created should have no divisions. We're all sons and daughters of the king. We're all part of one big family. And you know what? This, this, I thought about this. I thought, man, this is, this is such good news today. In the day in which we're living. I mean, we live in such polarized times. We, we live in an age of, of hyper-individualism and reckless autonomy. There's racial division. There's political division. There's division among genders. I mean, you just spend some time on social media. You'll hear it all, right? You watch the news. You'll see it happening. Get onto a university campus. You'll see it right in your face. But, but the, the claim of Scripture is that through the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus purchased and he created, inaugurated, a new united family. It's not a fractured body. It's a united body, a complete body, a whole body. And Jesus' vision for his kingdom people, his vision for us, is shalom. Unity, wholeness, completeness. And that's amazing when you consider the beginning of times and what happened. The fracturing, the Tower of Babel, the nations being scattered, whereas Jesus is completing and restoring all of that through his church. What I love about traveling all over the world, and I've, I've, I've traveled to many, many different nations all over the world, and I have, the best thing about me is I have this full confidence that when I enter into and be part of a body of believers, followers of Jesus, true authentic followers of Jesus, I will always be welcomed. I will always be cared for. I will always be safe. There is no other organization in the world that has that claim. And the reason why we have that claim is because of the centrality of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what he did through the cross of Christ. It's incredible when you think about it. Well, finally, we can experience peace within. See, Jesus also brings peace to our fragmented and distorted private worlds. You know, whenever we experience fear, and some of you today are experiencing fear. Some of you are experiencing anxiety. Some of you are experiencing depression. The reason why we have that is because our minds lack wholeness and completeness. Our minds are fragmented. Our minds are going in a million different directions. Shalom is far from us on the inside. But did you know that Jesus promised his disciples that he would give them his peace? Let's look at what he said in John 14, 27. And he's speaking this to disciples who were afraid that Jesus was going away. And here's what he said. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. 
Listen, maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know, my heart is troubled. I'm afraid. I don't know what's going to happen with my job. I don't know what's going to happen with my kids. I don't know what's going to happen in, in the world today. I'm troubled. I'm stressed out. In the midst of all of that, Jesus promises us peace. He will bring shalom to our disjointed and our fragmented minds. You know, a number of you know that I had a very serious health scare about five years ago. Um, I was having great difficulty breathing for a number of months. And then one day my calf just kind of exploded like a balloon to twice its size. And I didn't know it at the time, but what I discovered was that I had a deep vein thrombosis in my leg, a, a blood clot, and that I had two pulmonary embolisms in my lungs. I, uh, I couldn't breathe because I had blood clots in my lungs. Um, but of course, I'm a stubborn guy and I soldier through it. I didn't want to go to the doctor. Well, finally I did. Figured out what was wrong. And it, you know what? This was a serious and life-threatening condition, and I didn't know it at the time, but then they sat me down and they told me what had happened. And by God's grace, I, I recovered, and I, I still have some lifelong side effects, but um, I'm much healthier today. Now, what I didn't expect from this experience was the way that it brought disorder to my mind. You see, within a couple of weeks, I started experiencing incredible anxiety. And this was strange to me because I'm not a very anxious or worrisome person. Um, and, and what had eventually happened and what began to precipitate and evolve was I started to experience panic attacks. Um, so because I'm not an anxious person, I had no idea what was going on with me. I, I felt like I was at war with my body. I was at war with my mind. I, I checked myself into emergency a couple of times because I just didn't know what was going on. Um, I, was, I, was a, I was a mess. My inner world was in chaos. My mind was disjointed. I needed peace. I, I needed shalom of the mind. And, and if you've ever had panic attacks, you, you, you probably know that there's very little you can do to make the physical symptoms go away. I mean, the tunnel vision, the tightness in your chest, the racing heart. I'd, I'd get a numb tongue. I'd have a shortness of breath. Um, I just felt out of control. And all you can do during a panic attack is, is just essentially sit through it and wait and seek to find peace of mind. So today, of course, I, I now have tremendous sympathy for those who are experiencing mental health challenges. So how did I get through those times? Well, I, I, wish, I wish I could just say that I, I did it perfectly or that I did it well all the time, but I, the truth is I didn't. But what I tried to do during that time is to trust Jesus for peace in my inner world. I prayed a lot. I read scripture, the Psalms, a lot. I sang a lot of worship songs. Um, I also had an extraordinary wife uh, who would remind me of the gospel and would sing me to sleep uh, with hymns. I mean, you think you got it when she's leading worship here? Man, I, I had it. I just, she'd just hold my hand and sing gospel songs to me just so I could sleep. I learned that when my private world is disordered, I can turn to God. And that God can give me peace of mind. And even though my body did not have peace, my mind had peace. See, we have this promise in Philippians chapter 4 from the Apostle Paul. He says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And for all of those of you today who maybe are, are struggling with anxiety or depression or, or loneliness or whatever it is, I want you to take this promise and I want you to, 
to hold it true for yourself and, and to put it into practice. Because when our inner worlds are fractured and fragmented, Jesus gives us shalom. He gives us peace, wholeness, sound mind. And that might be you today. Would you turn your heart to Christ? Would you say, Jesus, give me peace in troubled times? Now, the amazing part about all of this is, is that Jesus actually invites each and every one of us into his peace mission. He gives us his peace, but then he says, you know what, I've given you my peace. I'm now going to send you out into the world to bring my peace wherever you go. You know, Jesus said to his disciples, he was teaching them in the very early days, and he says, listen, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. As sons and daughters of the king, Jesus commissions us into the world as his peacemakers. We have the blessing of being able to bring peace wherever we go. We can bring shalom to relationships, shalom to communities, shalom to the world. We are part of Jesus' restoration mission in the world. You know, earlier this week, a bunch of cross-pointers volunteered at, at the Tegler Youth Center. Um, the Tegler uh, was doing a, a Christmas gift giveaway. And when we heard about it, we said, well, we want to partner with Tegler because they're one of the organizations in our community that is doing good. And uh, so we, we as a church, I don't know if you know this, but we gave $3,000 from our local fund to Tegler to sponsor this Christmas gift giveaway. But then, of course, we said to a number of our home groups, would you go down and would you just serve? Would you volunteer at the Tegler uh, center and a number of them did and so we have a, a number of them here there's lots of other pictures uh, i just thought wow you know what being a peacemaker <laughs> looks like a whole lot of fun it looks like a good time but hundreds of gifts were given away to families that were in need in our local community did you know that when we come alongside those who are experiencing brokenness or poverty we're bringing shalom we're bringing wholeness we're bringing completeness and there's so many other ways that 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 so many of you are bringing wholeness and completeness uh, to our world. You're bringing shalom. I know a number of you are, are spending your time uh, volunteering your time late Saturday nights working for the Salvation Army men as they, they bring hope and they bring life and they bring Jesus in very practical ways to street workers who are working here in the city. Some of you are participating with For Freedom International and you're donating, you're giving towards the work that we're doing. You know, the Christmas project that we're trying to do Christmas Eve, what are we trying to do? We're, 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 we're trying to bring shalom to the world wholeness, restoration. You know, some of you are praying about who you could invite to Alpha. Did you know that when you invite somebody to Alpha, you, you're bringing shalom? Did you know that? When you invite somebody to Christmas Eve, gatherings that are coming up to the hayride, and you high-five the alpaca, I mean, you're bringing shalom to the world. And that's a great thing. Jesus invites us to participate with him in his peace mission in the world. And where does it start? It, it starts, first of all, with us receiving his peace, experiencing his peace ourselves, and then partnering with him in his redemptive mission in the world to bring shalom. And may that be true of each and every one of us. Hey, before we go to communion this morning, um, which just, again, so epitomizes this work of peace that Jesus brought to us. But before we do that, I wonder if you would pray with me for just a few minutes. Let's pray and let's turn our hearts towards God. Maybe just um, close your eyes and just kind of put aside everything that's around you right now and just try and turn your attention to our Father. And I want you to just consider a couple of questions as we go into prayer. Here's the first question. Where do you need peace in your life today?
Where do you need shalom? Why don't you just take a moment and turn your heart to, to our Father and say, Father, would, would you bring shalom? Would you bring peace to my world? Let me give you a moment to do that. Here's the second question. As we're just paused in the presence of God, how might Jesus be asking you to partner with him in his peace mission? What might that look like? Bring that question to him. Jesus, I pray for all of those here here today who need peace. Shalom in their inner minds. Shalom in the world around them. Would you bring that to them? Would you give that to them? You are the God of restoration. I pray for restoration of hearts, minds, souls, restorations of relationships. And Jesus, as we partner with you in your redemptive mission in the world, as we go out as peacemakers, would you give us your peace? And would you grant us the wisdom and the power to do good things in your name and to share good news in your name? Thank you for this great honor and privilege to partner with you. We give you thanks now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.